0: this Yours, babe. Oh, dude, you're the man. I'll take it Thank you, Dorian. I will, I'll get it when I run out of this one. It's good. Extra water is important when I'm you know, I don't, I used to lead worship and then preach like every single week, <clears throat> but uh, and then you know, it's you know, your vocal cords are like a muscle, so they get stronger. But I've been doing that for a very, very long time. So now when I go back to back, my voice just starts getting weak. So the the Water is helpful. Okay, well, I'm actually going to continue uh, a series that I've started. I'm going to be in it for a while called Restoring Paradise. And basically what I'm doing in this series is I'm just looking at how many of you know the Bible, the whole Bible tells how many stories? That's a trick question, actually. There's lots of stories, but there's one main story that the Bible is telling. From Genesis to Revelation, there's one unfolding story that begins in Genesis when God creates the heavens and the earth, and it continues, the plot continues to develop, and then it comes to its conclusion at the end of the book of Revelation. How many of you, do you guys realize this is not like every other good story? This is a story that you're living in the middle of. Like, this isn't a fiction story. This isn't even just like a historical story, you know, where you learn about something from way back in history that was interesting. But like, there is a story that's unfolding. That was the first part of it, and now it's your generation, and it's your life. And the Bible even tells us the future of how the story is going to end That is so advantageous for us that is so advantageous if you can know from god's perspective god is in charge and and he has a plan that he is working and he is developing and when you can see when you if you can know at least the main points of what his plan is and if you could see yourself in the middle of the story and you could read the bible and see everything that happened leading up to your point in the story And then you can see where you're at, and you can read the Bible and see what's going to happen in the future. That gives us—knowing the future gives us power for the present. Knowing the future gives us power for the present. And so uh, what we're doing is we're just studying key key chapters in the Bible that just kind of trace the development of the plot line of the main story of the Bible— And so today, this is Exodus 19, is what we're going to do today. By the way, I want to do this real quick and see how many of you guys remember this. Eventually, every person in this church is going to know these four things. like, what are the four main parts of the biblical story? Somebody tell me, what's the first main part of the biblical storyline? Gabe. Creation. Creation. Very good. And it's told mostly in what? Chapters of the Bible. wait, hold on, Genesis, where, you don't know, oh, that was a clue, do you know, Genesis, yes, Genesis 1 and 2, very good, and then this, so God creates the heavens and the earth, the people, the animals, the trees, everything that dwell in it, and everything's perfect, God and people are in perfect union with one another, therefore people love each other, everything's good, There's no death, no suffering of any type. Everything's perfect. Everything was awesome. And then the second part of the biblical storyline happened. What's that? The fall. And where's that told mostly? Genesis 3. Good job. Kids are on it. Okay, and then uh, in the fall, people decided to disobey God. And when they did, they brought themselves and all of natural creation under a curse. And so that leads into the next development in the biblical story where God looks at people, fallen creation, and he, he has compassion. And he wants to redeem all who are willing. And he wants to, not only of people, he wants to redeem all of natural creation from the curse, and the suffering that it's under right now. And so he begins to put a plan into place. And what's the third part of the biblical story called? Ada. Come on, I, I caught you off guard. He just got back from base, well, training in the army. So welcome back. Yes, it's redemption, where God begins to put a redemption plan into place. Redemption. God's redemption plan didn't start with Christmas. It didn't start with the virgin conceived and had a son, and he's the who will save us from our sins. It started way before that, and God made a covenant with Abraham, and we talked about that earlier in the series, and then there's other covenants he made, and that's what I'm going to get into today. It's the next major covenant in God's redemption plan. It's the Mosaic Covenant, and the reason it's called the Mosaic Covenant is because it was made with tiny little tiles. (laughs) Thank you. I love my wife. Even at home, she'll laugh at my jokes when nobody else does. Thank you. Not really. Okay, so it's not tiny tiles. The Mosaic Covenant is because Moses was kind of the mediator of the covenant. God wanted to make a covenant with Israel, and he talked to Moses, and he says, Moses, I'm going to make this covenant, and he laid out the conditions of the covenant, and then Moses goes to the people, and he's like, hey, guys, God wants to make a covenant. Here's the conditions, and they're like, we're in. We'll do it, and he goes back to God. Literally, that's basically how it happened, so they call it the Mosaic Covenant because he kind of mediated this covenant, and it's uh, really important, but really quickly, I've got to finish up. What's the fourth part of the biblical storyline? Jake. Jake. nope it's the final part of the biblical storyline yeah. it's, it's it. Davidic covenant is, is, is not it but that is in the redemption plan but that's not it nee? the f- restoration you have the final restoration and where is that mostly to- talked about in the Bible the most famous part Revelation. yeah Revelation 21 and 22 okay so anyway you guys are going to know this really really well okay um, So let's get into Exodus 19. This is when I'm taking people through the 12 stories in the Bible and discipling them. I always get happy when we're on Exodus 19. Because Exodus 19, I think, one of my favorite things to do in the Bible is I don't want to just read the Bible to get information. I want to know God. I want to know who he is and what he's like. Like, seriously, like the first thing I am, I am a worshiper. Everybody say, I'm a worshiper. You're created by God, I am a worshiper of God. But how can I worship what I do not know? How can I give him praise if I don't understand any of his attributes that are praiseworthy? How can I praise him for something and I don't know anything about him? But when we read the Bible, we don't have to guess who God is. We don't have to... But God makes himself known to us, and he wrote it down in the scriptures because he's like, I want you to know, I want you to know who I am, and I want you to know not only who I am, but what I'm like. You know that God has a personality? You know that God has, he has a character. He has, he has attributes and, and uh, character attributes that are incredible. And we can learn what God is like when we read the Bible and we see things that he says about himself. We see the way he names himself. We see the things that he does. It reveals what he's like. And then we're like, why did you do that? And he's like, because I'm like this. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. That's why you did that. And what we do is we read the Bible as worshipers because in Exodus 19 is just this epic passage that shows us three attributes of God. One, it shows us it's the first place in scripture where we see the bridegroom heart of God. It's the first place. This becomes actually a pretty significant theme about God and his people throughout the rest of the biblical story. But the first place we see this picture of God who has a bridegroom heart is in Exodus chapter 19. He just kind of like opens and unveils his bridegroom heart for the first time for his people. And the second thing we see about God in Exodus 19 is we see his holiness. I mean, it's so clear, all three of these themes. We see that he is a holy God, meaning he is not like us. He is not like us. And I think that's one of the mistakes that that fallen human beings make is we try to make God like us. And we create, in fact, all idolatry, it's like people create gods in their own image. (laughs) Because we have this need, it's built into us by our creator to worship. But what really people do oftentimes is they worship themselves. But God, in this passage, he shows us his holiness, and we see what he's like. And what we want to do is we respond to the revelation of who God is by by we adjust what we think to agree with what he declares about himself. And then we respond with worship, and we honor him for that. Um, Man, I could just talk and talk and talk, but I should just get started. Oh, the third thing, you want me to tell you that? The third thing you see in Exodus 19 is the majestic power of God. I love it. So I'm just going to read it because it's pretty self-evident. Let me just do this real quick to set up the story. Do you guys remember when I taught about, when we read about the covenant that God made with Abraham? Raise your hand if you remember that. Okay. So the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's okay. You're going to hear me talk about this for the rest of your life. So. And if you don't like it, you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so done about hearing about Abraham and the covenant with Abraham. I'm so sick of that. Then you'll get to heaven, and they're going to talk about it forever and ever and ever and ever. (laughs) So you might as well learn to love the covenant with Abraham. So God makes a covenant with Abraham because he wants to save every people group on the earth and redeem them from their sin and from the curse. But he chooses a man named Abraham. And he calls him out from among his own people. And he says, you're going to be separate. You're not going to be like a bunch of these idol worshipers and everything. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a covenant with you. And if you will worship me and obey me and follow me, he says, and what I will do is I will will be your God, and I will bless you. And he lists all these specific blessings. And just let me sum it up like this. Basically, God tells Abraham, here's some of the big ones to remember. He says, I am going to give you an abundance of descendants. As many descendants as the stars of the sky. Like, billion, like millions and millions and millions and millions and millions billions of descendants. That's how many you're going to have. You guys remember this? Okay. He says, and then the other thing he says, oh yeah, and those descendants? He says, I'm going to give them this land. It's a specific piece of real estate. I showed you a map last time when I preached about it in the Middle East. He's like, it's like, it's going to be the long, I designate it to your descendants forever, forever as a permanent possession. Now, how many of you know, God owns the whole earth. He owns all the real estate. He can do whatever he wants with it. He can give it to whoever he wants. You know, if if you own, like if you own a hundred acres and it's yours, you own it and you want to take one acre and give it to a friend you know, and somebody else comes up to you and says, hey man, you can't give that acre to him. I don't like that you're doing that. You'd be like, you know what? It's my acre. I'll do whatever I want with my acre. I'm giving it to him. Guy's like, well, what about me? I want an acre. <laughs> anyway, we talked about that, but God designated that piece of land. He says, this is for Abraham's descendants. I make a covenant with him. Remember, a coven is a legally binding agreement between two or more parties. And there are terms and conditions that each side has to abide by. And then God also told Abraham, third thing, he says, another thing about these descendants, they're going to live in this land forever. He says, but through through your descendants, I want to bless all the nations, all the people groups on the whole earth. Because the nations, all the people groups, redemption was always in his heart. But he had to start with someone, and he chose Abram and his descendants. But then God told him this. You guys remember this? He says, okay, here's, because Abram's like, yeah, this is great promise and all, but I've got zero children, God. Zero. I've got no children. I am getting kind of old, God. Like, Abraham's like in his 80s or whatever. It's like, God, I'm getting up there. I have, you're telling me I'm going to have millions of descendants? I don't even have One. Not even one. God's like, I'm going to give you a bunch. God makes a covenant with him. But then he says, here's how it's going to go down. He says, "Um, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids, descendants, I mean. He says, but they're going to be oppressed as slaves in a foreign country, in a foreign land, for over 400 years. You guys remember this? And then he tells them, and he says, and then after that, he says, "Um, I will deliver them. I will I will deliver them out of that slavery in that land. I'll bring them back to this land that I told you that they could live in and they'll live in it forever. And Abraham, you know what do you say when God you know, Abraham's like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> you know. So here we are in the book of Exodus, the story goes on and it's been over 400 years. And sure enough, God blessed Abram and he has like millions of descendants. He's got tons of descendants. They have multiplied like rabbits in slavery in Egypt, and they were oppressed in Egypt. And then God is like, raises up Moses, and God performs all these miraculous signs and wonders in the, in the first bunch of chapters of Exodus where God delivers Israel out of Egypt. And so they've just been delivered, like miraculous signs have happened. And they're going... They're like traveling from Egypt. They left Egypt, but the promised land is over here, and they're kind of in the middle. And they're on their way there, and the first thing that God does, like this is what's happening. This is where they're at when Exodus 19 happens. And I just want you to think about this. this these are Abraham's descendants, but, but, but they don't know God for themselves. They've never met the Lord. They've heard... Abraham knew the Lord. Isaac and Jacob knew the Lord because had, they had encountered God, they had met the Lord. But this, this is 400 years later. These descendants of Abraham, they'd heard the stories of this ancestor they had over 400 years ago that had this awesome relationship with God and God said he'd bless their descendants. Like They knew the story, but they don't have their own stories with the Lord they'd never met him personally. Moses did. Moses had met him just recently and had this powerful encounter with God and they had seen God this you know Moses comes and he's like I had an encounter with the God of Abraham. They're like, "Whoa." Like we heard the legends, right? <laughs> like we heard the story about Abraham and what God promised him that totally applies to us and, Ab- and Moses is like, "I just met him." and he sent me, he's going to deliver you out of slavery. And then they're like, wow. And then Moses, God through Moses does all these incredible miracles and brings them out of slavery. So they still haven't met the Lord, but they've heard of him and they've seen him do all these acts of power on their behalf to get them out of slavery. And he's miraculously providing for them when they're like living in a wilderness desert. He's like literally causing food to appear out of air every day to feed them. Think about that. Do you know that these people for 40 years, 40 years, like I'm 46 years old for 40 years, they survived off of bread appearing out of air every single morning without ever missing a morning. And meat, eventually got through in some quail. So they'd seen his miracles, but they'd never met him. And they're on their way to this land that God promised to them, to their ancestor Abraham, that he would give to them. They're like, are you serious? This is actually happening? And then exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt... They arrived in the wilderness of Sinai after breaking camp at Rephidim. They came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. And then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if, everybody say if. He yeah. says, if you will obey me and keep my what? Amen. Covenant. Then you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation And this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So, Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And so Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. You see, he's mediating this covenant. Here's what I love this. In this passage is the first place in the biblical story where we, we see God just kind of like expose his heart to his people. They'd seen his acts of power. And they're like, why is he doing this? I don't, he promised this ancestor. Think about it. Think, think, if you, think for an ancestor you had 400 years ago. Do you even know him? Do you even know who they are? I mean, what what if, what if like, you know, you had heard this story like, oh, I had this great, 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 great grandpa, somebody. God appeared to him and told him that he, a little over 400 years from now, he was going to bless his descendants and like, what? Here I am. And they're like, okay. They'd heard the story. But now God, he says, he comes to them. And this, and they'd seen his acts of power, but they don't know him. They don't know what he's like, really. And it's like, this is like, to me, this is like God is proposing. This is like a marriage covenant that God is proposing to Israel. And I just see him do this. I just see God coming. And he's getting on his knee in front of these people who were slaves two months ago. And he gets on his knee. And he says, hey, I, I, you, I, I, want, I, I want to tell you, I want you to meet me. And he says, now I want to tell you why I did. You saw what I did for you? Did you see that? You saw what I did to those Egyptians because of the way they treated you? He, then he says this, and he goes, do you know why? Do you know Why? It's like I did it because I love you. It's like God is like He's like I I wanted to win your heart. (laughs) That's incredible. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I've carried you and cared for you like tenderly in this wilderness. Do you know why I'm treating you like this? Because I love you. Because I have desire in my heart that you would be my special covenant people, my special treasure out of all the peoples on the earth. I want to enter into this covenant relationship with you where you're going to be different than every other nation. Because all the other nations, they're worshiping idols, but not you. You're going to be my holy nation. You're going to be my kingdom of priests. That's who you're going to be. You're going to minister to me and, you're going to, and, you're, and because as you minister to me, you're going to know me because I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to make my commandments known to you. I'm going to make my nature, my covenants known to you. I'm going to make my, my word known to you. And you're going to steward it as priests. And through my interactions with you, you're going to make me known to the world. Are you getting this? This is the call that was on Israel. That's what it means to be a priest. You know what a priest did? A priest went into the presence of God and ministered to the Lord. And then they encountered the Lord and they came from the presence of God and ministered to the people on behalf of the Lord. This is what a priest does. And God's saying to Israel, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. There's no other nation on earth that actually knows me. They're all blind. They're in darkness. But I am making myself known out of all the peoples on the earth. I could have done it with anyone. I chose you. I chose Abram and I told him, I'm making a, I'm committed to you and your descendants forever. And he says, I am making my heart known to you. You're gonna actually have the you're gonna have the Shekinah glory of God in the center of your gathering. No other nation on earth has that. He's like, when, when other nations come to attack you, I am going to fight your battles. And you will win. Of course, there's more to come in the Mosaic Covenant later. You know the fine print? <laughs> I'm joking about it. The fine print, I'm like, unless you disobey me and worship idols, then I will hand you over to them and, destroy, and defeat you before them. <laughs> we'll get into that uh, In the next week or two. But God's saying to them, this is what my heart is for you. I love you. And the bridegroom heart is this. uh, The heart of the, like when we talk about the bridegroom heart of God, there's three aspects that I think of when I think of God having a, a bridegroom heart. Okay, here's what it is. Number one, the first aspect of God's bridegroom heart is that he is filled with desire for his people. He's filled with desire for relationship with his people. When I got married to my wife, I was so excited. I could not wait. You know, how many of you, you get married and you're like, how long till you get married? They're like, well, right now it's like 132 days and six hours. (laughs) It was like that. Like when we were getting married, I was so excited. I didn't enter into this marriage covenant with my wife being like, "Uh, when I help her out here, you're welcome." Out of all the people on earth, you get me. I'm I it wasn't like that. I do joke like that, but that wasn't really how it was. <laughs> I got to build myself up somehow. So, um, no, but I was just so excited. I, I, it was actually like this out of all the guys on earth, I get to marry her. Because you want to know the truth? Okay? Inside story. On our college campus, like pretty much every guy on campus wanted to marry Autumn. I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not, exa- no, it is true. Trust me trust me, I am not lying. This is not false humility. I can prove it. I remember, like, I saw her, like, first day on campus, right? I I, I saw her. I didn't know her yet. I just saw her, and I was like, whoa. I'm like, Hawkeyes, you know? I was like, wow. I was like, I told my friend, I'm like, oh my goodness, that girl's beautiful. I'm like, oh, wow. And so then I was like, okay, like it's time to, I got to talk to her, right? So I find her and I'm going to go talk to her after this event is over when I saw her. And when I walk up to, I see her, she is surrounded by a crowd of guys and they're all there talking to her. And I'm like, oh crud, man, like all the wolves found her. It's like, it's like that way at Bible college, you know, it's like the beautiful freshman girl shows up on campus and it's like fresh, like fresh meat. It's like, that's the wolf illustration I was using. Sorry. But, and so I'm like, man, they're all there. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to, I have dignity, right? So I'm like, no, I'm not going to go and just join in with all the wolves. So I just kind of kept my distance, but I was like, Whew. for a couple months, I was just watching her. And then, uh, and, but then I got to know her a little bit over the next couple months. Um, yeah, uh it's marriage bridegroom. It's there. It's going somewhere. I'll make it land. Uh, but And so I, I'm getting to know her, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, she has a beautiful heart. That's As I got to know her, I'm like, she loved the Lord. And I remember, like, there was a missions conference happening on campus, and my heart was stirred for missions, and we ended up just talking one time, and, and she was just sharing how much she had this heart for missions, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. She's beautiful on the outside, and she has a beautiful heart. I'm like, this is the perfect combination of everything. And so I was like, man. And so anyway, what ends up happening— I'm going to skip it. What ends up happening? <laughs> that's right. I, I, I destroyed all the wolves. I'm joking. Some of them were, were my friends, probably. I get it. I was just a distant wolf. I had a different strategy, but I won't go into that right now. Actually, I'll tell you. My strategy was, that was prayer. That was my strategy. I, I just waited and prayed and, um, and I remember I, I didn't want to even initiate like, a, asking God on a date until I felt a green light from the Holy Spirit. And I remember one day, I just felt a green light. And, um, and within a week, we were dating. <laughs> so, and within nine months after that, we were married. So praise God. But, um, but anyway, I was, I was, but man, when, when I'm going to go on a date with her. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Like, I can't spend enough time with this woman, right? And, it, and we, we have this curfew on campus at Bible College, you know. It's like midnight during the weekdays, 1 a.m. on the weekends. Like, you got to be in your dorm because the door locks at that time. And if you're locked out, you got to go to security to have them let you in, and you get in trouble, right? So I remember, though, just being like every moment. I want to squeeze every moment I can with her, right? And so we're like standing there outside her dorm room at like 11.58, and just like, one more minute, because I can run to mine in like 30 seconds. And say so, bye, bye, love you, 11.59. Okay, no, seriously, I got to go. Okay, I love you. And then whoom, I sprint back to my room, go straight up there, get ready for bed. And then before I get into bed, I pick up the phone and I call her. <laughs> we didn't text in those days. No cell phones. But um, I call her and then we talk a little bit. But it's just, I just, my heart was filled with desire and delight in her. Like, I just couldn't get enough of her. I just wanted to be with her, like, every possible second I wanted to be with her. And that was, to me, that's, like, one of the best parts about being married. I remember we got married, and um, it was, like, toward the end of our honeymoon. And our our honeymoon was coming to an end, and it was time to drive back home. And I remember all of a sudden it dawned on me. I was like, when we get back home, we don't have to say goodbye and go to our own separate. Like, we get to still be together all the time, every day. We'd try to get the same jobs and we'd like work together. (laughs) We loved it, man. We just wanted to be together. My heart was filled with desire for her. I delight in her still. Like, her companionship is like my favorite companionship ever. Like, I just can't get enough of her. So that's why I can totally relate to God when He talks about having a heart of a bridegroom that's filled with desire for His people. That's how God feels about Israel. And that's how God feels about you. The second aspect of the bridegroom heart of God is it's it's a covenant relationship. Uh, So, When I got married to my wife, we made a covenant and there were vows exchanged, right? And I was basically out of, out of, I will be faithful to you. I will have no other women on the side. I will be faithful to you. Completely faithful. I will love you. I will serve you. I will, you know, until death do us part for the rest of our life. Right? And she said the same thing to me. It's a covenant. And that's, the, and, and you know what? I, no, nobody in their right mind would accept any, anything less in terms of commitment. I mean, would you want to marry somebody that was like, I'm going to be faithful only to you? I'm just going to have one or two others. That's it. You'd be like, no, I don't think you're the one for me. I'm going to go find somebody else. <laughs> if you were in your right mind. You guys with me? And we're people. How, do you, and God is entering into a covenant relationship with us. So why do you think that immediately after this passage, it's actually in the same story. Moses is on the mountain talking with God, saying, Lord, they said yes, because that's what happens. God's like, go tell them that I love them and I want to, them to be my special per- uh people treasured possession and god's getting on his knees essentially to israel saying will you marry me you know marriage covenant and then moses says well this is what god says and they're like yes and i just it's like the leaping into his arms yes i will right and then right after that god gives them 10 commandments guess what the first one is you have no other gods but me is this making sense why? Because he's got a bridegroom heart and he's entering into a covenant relationship with them. And he's like, I'm not going like, to enter into this. Like, you're going to be my special treasure. You're, I'm not going to tolerate you worshiping other gods and giving to others what is, what is designated for me in our covenant. This is this making sense? Yeah. Guys, this is our God. This is who he is and what he's like, and it's no different with us in the new covenant. This is the new covenant. It's, it's um, God invites the Gentiles into the covenant relationship. Gentiles, non Jewish people. He's like, if you you worship me, you're going to be my people. Jesus is Lord. You're going to follow me. You're going to obey my my commandments. You're not going to be like all the other peoples. You're going to be my holy people. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. I've called you out of darkness and into my marvelous light. And you're going to be my priest. You have the privilege of coming into my presence. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit inside of us. Which means we hear the voice of the Lord. We feel the presence of the Lord. We pray and to God and he responds and answers our prayers. So you're priests, we come into his presence, we minister to the Lord, we enjoy this intimate friendship with the Lord. And then he, and then from that place we're his ambassadors and we represent him and we speak to the people on his behalf. We say, Be reconciled to God, and we show them the way. I hope this is making sense. The th- that's the third aspect of covenant relationship with God, of the bridegroom heart of God, is that he wants to partner with his people. You know, my wife, when I got married to my wife, I mean, it's like it's companionship, right? It's devotion, like we're devoted and faithful to one another. But it's more than that. We do life together, we're a team, we're partners. We raise kids together. We make the decisions together. We, we make financial decisions together. We do all kinds of stuff. We do life together. Right. Because when we got married, we, we're, we didn't just become companions. We didn't just um, say we're going to be faithful to each other. By de- <laughs> we're partners in life. We do life together. And that's what God wants with his people. He partners with us to do amazing things. So yesterday, with Lisa Summers, it was her birthday. And Daniel, her husband, threw a surprise birthday party for her. And it was at my house. She was totally surprised. And a bunch of people from the church and from outside were there just people that love and know Lisa and we just took time to go around and each person just shared to Lisa this is what I love about you and admire about you and one of the things that just immediately came to my mind and I told her this I said you know what I've never I said I don't know if I ever known anyone that was more visible evidence of the power of the grace of God than you like when you were lost you were so lost like you were you you were in a mess you had all kinds of problems and issues right and but now she's so transformed it's not just that she saved and now I don't do this anymore she is such a beautiful mature woman of god like she's like Such an excellent wife to Daniel and and mother to her children. And she's just always loving and encouraging and investing in other people. That's why everybody's there, because they just want to say, I love you, Lisa, because they always feel love coming from her. She's she's such a beautiful uh, evidence of God's transforming grace. Let me just wrap this up I got I got like 10 minutes and but I've also got next week so I will end on time let me just say uh let's go through it quick verse 9 then the Lord said to Moses I will come to this is awesome gosh I love this I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. You want to know why that's God was doing that? He's really smart. He understands human nature. So think about this. You've got like over a million people, right? What's human nature? Everybody has their ideas about what we should do. But God's like, yeah, this, this is how this is going to work. Training starts now. He's like, I choose Moses. I'm going to speak to Moses. He's going to tell you what I might command you to do, and then you're going to do it. But, you know, human nature, like, and I get this part. If you're, if you're like the people, and, you know, like, there were things God told them to do, they were tested in the wilderness, there were hardships. They went through some hard stuff. Their hearts were being tested. And what happens when you start going through hard stuff? You're like, why am I doing this? Well, because Moses, God told him. How do I know God told Moses that? Like, how do I really know? I mean, just because he goes on a mountain on a hike for 40 days and comes down and says, God met with me, and this is what you're supposed to do. And now I'm doing it, and it's hard. I don't know. Like, how do I really know? And God knows human nature. And so God's like, Moses, here's what's going to happen right now. He's like, "Uh, I'm going to talk to you in front of the people, and they're going to hear me talk to you. That way they'll always know (laughs) that they better listen. Okay? And you know what's cool is actually God kept doing this. Because the Bible says later on in Exodus that Moses regularly, he would go out to the tent of meeting where he would meet with the Lord and the Shekinah glory of God would come down in the tent and the people would all come out of their tents and watch as Moses talked with the Lord. And the reason God did that is not because he was like, I just want people to know that Moses is cool and super spiritual. That that wasn't why. He's like, I want people to be able to, to trust what Moses says so that they do it when I give commands. Because God wasn't, at this time, he wasn't talking to every one of them. He would just, he would talk to certain ones. He would choose a person, a prophet. He would speak to them, and then they would speak to the people on behalf of God. But they didn't all hear the voice of the Lord. But in the new covenant, we all have the Holy Spirit living in us, so we can all hear the voice of the Lord, like Moses did. Isn't that cool? But anyway, that's what's happening in that verse. And then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down. I just, You know what I keep thinking about this? He's not talking about that here. I keep thinking about the second coming when I read this. He's he's not talking about that in the context. He's talking about what he was doing with them at Mount Sinai. But I think there's such a prophetic foreshadow. Prepare the people for my arrival, (laughs) guys. Do you realize God is coming back to the earth? He's coming back to the earth. What's our job as His people? He, two things. One, he says to us, prepare for my arrival. How? Consecrate yourselves to the Lord. Con- consecrate yourselves to the Lord. But you have another assignment. Don't just get yourself ready. He's like, prepare the nations for my arrival. How? We preach the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. This is a great commission. I'm just sure to go on. Verse 12, mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful... Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship, and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day and until then abstain from having sexual intercourse i'm going to read verse 16 on the morning of the third day thunder roared get this picture in your mind cuz this is the this is god we saw his bridegroom heart we see his holiness in that section right there he's like uh i'm holy and uh here's the real when i read that section this is what i get like God's like I, I have this bridegroom heart. I want to be so close to you. I'm gonna come close, as close as I can, and you live to tell the story. He says because I'm holy and you're sinful, and if your sin comes into the unfiltered presence glory of God, it's like bugsaver. No, that's that's for real. And that's the problem is the sinful nature. We already talked about that. God's like, I, "I still haven't fixed your sinful nature yet. That's not till the New Covenant." He's like, "But, but I'm going to come as close to you as I can." There was a reason that Holy Spirit couldn't come and dwell inside of people back then, because He's a holy spirit, and people were sinful. And the blood of Jesus first had to atone for our sins and make us clean. Not, not just through some outward ceremony, but from the inside out. And then when the blood of Jesus made us clean on the inside and holy, then the Holy Spirit now can come in and we live to tell about it. Does that make sense? But all along, since the, since the fall, God's like wanting to be close with people again, but they got this sinful nature, and he's like, okay, I'm going to come really close. You're going to come up to, the, I'm going to come on top of the mountain. You're going to come to the base of it, but put a beware of God's sign, you know, all around that mountain, make it a really clear line. He's like, do not go past that line. He like, I'm going to come close. But we see this heart. He's like, I am filled with desire for you. I want to come close. I want to be known by you. I want to make myself known to you. But I can only, but he, we see his holiness too. And we see their sinfulness. And he's, he can only get so close. Did that, does that make sense? Do you guys get that point? So, that, so then he actually comes down in verse 16. And I love this description. He comes down and it's like thunder roared, lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. By the way, this for fun, if you want to do this, read this passage and then read Revelation 4, the throne of God, and you got the lightning and thundering around his throne. I mean, it's epic. There's so much in here that's cool there was a long loud blast from a ram's horn and all the peoples trembled they trembled literally physically like incontrollable they're just the terror the terror of the lord and this is a god who's already shown them he's fighting on their behalf He's a bridegroom. He's filled with desire for them. Yet he, he comes near a little bit and t- just barely touches the tip of a mountain. And it says the whole mountain just quakes. When he just touches a tip of the mountain the whole mountain quakes and the people they they see the dark clouds the thunder the lightning the mountain is convulsing under the weight of a little bit of god and the people are like tiny 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 people at the base of a mountain they're just like this like this is our god and you know what god did that on purpose it's like god why did you scare me like that he's like that was for your good It's called the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. And God said to them later on, he says, I will put my holy fear in you. Why? So that you will not depart from me. And so that it will go well with you and your children. God's like, I want to bless you. <laughs> and I want to bless your children. So I'm going to help you stay close me, to me. And one of the ways I'm going to help you is I'm going to put the holy fear of God in you. People who fear God have strength to make righteous choices when there's pressure to compromise. And then it says, verse 17... I'll just read it. Moses led them from the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. Gosh, can you just imagine a mountain like on fire with smoke billowing up, thick dark clouds, lightning flashes, earthquake? That would be terrifying. And then it says, the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. Gosh. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain, and we'll pick up there next week in the story, but... I just here's what I wanted to just highlight to you and I want you to see. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. This God that you see in Exodus 19 is your God. He's the covenant God. He's got this bridegroom heart who's filled with desire he wants for you and for his people he's committed to you in covenant and he wants partner with you number two he's holy we got to remember that i think sometimes what we do is we and we we need to preach the friendship of god the father heart of god the, the goodness of god we need to preach that message I preach that message. It's changed my life, right? It's so important. But I think sometimes when we preach that, but we also don't preach the many passages in the Bible that talk about the fear of the Lord and that God being a righteous judge who's no respecter of persons, what happens is we set ourselves up for a fall. That's what happens. Do you know that wild, you know, trainers, you know, you see like it. Um, reptile gardens or you know in rapid city and they they do the croc the alligator shows and they're working with the real alligators and those are real teeth right and people who do that if there is a, a an accident that happens where one of them ends up getting attacked or hurt injured it it rarely ever happens when they're first starting the job you want to know why because they're just like you and I would be. If I'm holding a black mamba or something, you know, and showing it to the crowd, I'm like, I'm probably shaking too involuntarily. I'm like, I hate this job. I hate this job. You know, what? I go, why did I do this? They better pay awesome, I have really good insurance. But um, they, but they're, they're just they're scared, right? And so you know what? They're focused. They they are fully aware of the danger, the potential danger. This is a wild animal, right? But what happens is sometimes after a while, you know, see the guys and they're loving on the lions and the tigers. And sometimes after a while, they're lulled into this false sense of security and they forget it's a wild animal. You do the wrong thing at the wrong time, or you're not paying attention when it has that look in its eye, and you're lunch. You guys with me? And I think this this is the deal, and this you're gonna see this with God throughout the Bible, old and new testament right? It's like we have this intimacy with God. He's this bridegroom God. We draw near to him, and he invites us to draw near, and we do it with full confidence and assurance because of his grace, right? When we come before him in a reverential attitude. Very important point. But when you have a a flippant attitude toward him, a mocking attitude toward him, an arrogant attitude toward him, and you start drawing near, you should be terrified. That's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They forgot who they were dealing with, so they lied to the Holy Spirit. Like, guys, he knows the truth. (laughs) They forgot who they were dealing with. He's the same holy God that he was on Mount Sinai today. He's the same God of majestic power. Guys, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm finishing with this. All of you are going to see him in his majestic power like this. All of you. You can't avoid it if you want to. Right now, it's like, I've never seen him like that. Bible says you will. You will see him. I've had these types of experiences before where I was terrified with the fear of the Lord. And I loved it. I was literally scared. I've actually heard some people say something, well, to be, the fear of the Lord doesn't mean to be afraid of God. I'm like <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't see that in the Bible. They were they were afraid. Now, afraid not because he's the fear of the Lord. It's not because he's like this drunken father and you don't know like he's going to just hit you randomly and use his power to Like, I don't even know what I did to just set him off. I'm just afraid to even be around him, just like avoid him. It's not like that. He's good. He's good. He's predictable in the sense that he tells you, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. And if you you come before him with that reverence and a humble heart, even in your sin, you can approach him confidently with a humble heart and say, God, I sinned. And he'll welcome you with open arms, and he'll wash you, and he'll restore you, and he'll help you, pick you up clean you up, and help you overcome, right? But the problem is, is like when you, we, you lose that reverence and you lose the humility, that's the problem. We're going to see him. We're going to see him in his glory. Why don't you guys stand with me? Thanks for hanging with me, guys. Um, I love this picture of God. I want to just meditate on it. That's why I love Exodus 19, because in the same spot you see his his beautiful heart of bridegroom, his majestic power, and his beauty of his holiness all in the same story. And God, we got to just understand he's not like one or the other. He's all at the same time. He's holy, he's powerful, and he's filled with desire. This is our God. So Father, I just pray that you would... Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bear witness to this truth about what you're like. And I pray for all of us, I pray that you give us encounters with you, that your bridegroom heart would be real to us, and that your holiness would be real to us, the fear of God would be real in us, and that your majestic power, that we would stand in awe of you, Oh, I ask for the awe of God to fill us again as we encounter your heart that we would stand in awe of you. You're the beautiful God. You're all powerful. You're holy. You're filled with desire and love. Lord, we love you and now we just worship you. We worship you, Lord. I just want to invite you. I just want to speak to you and just give you an invitation like the lord is inviting you you know sometimes i read these stories i'm like oh man abraham's so lucky man he's so blessed i mean he got chosen to get come into that relationship with god and all this blessing that just goes on and on forever and ever i mean i wish i could be one of those guys like moses israel they got chosen like that's so cool guess what you've been invited into a covenant relationship with the same God of Abraham and Moses and Israel. You've been invited. It's like, well, what do we do? First thing, this is what he wants from you. He, he just, just the same thing he was telling Abraham and the same thing that he told Israel. He... You make him your God, and you worship him as the priority of your life. God, I live for you, and I want to do what pleases you. That's what I want to do. <clears throat> and then you and then you seek him, and you do what he says. Simple. So I just want to invite you, those of you who are like, I want to live for God and I want to have a relationship with the Lord. What I want to do right now is I just want to pray for you. So if that's you, I just want to I want you to hold up your hand. Cuz I just cuz I want to see who you are. That's exactly why. Here's why I want to see who you are. Cuz I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get started so that you can do it successfully. And I can't help you if I don't know you. So if you're here and you're like, I want to follow Jesus. Like, for real. Not just pray a prayer. (laughs) Could you imagine Moses? Like, God comes on the mountain and Moses is like, everybody repeat after me. (laughs) I'm going to lead you in a prayer. (laughs) Now, Jesus is like, hey, No other gods but me. Do not commit adultery. We're going to get into all that next week. But yeah, if you want that, just raise your hand right now if you want to follow Jesus. Is there anybody that wants to do that? Okay. Anybody else? All right. So Father, in Jesus' name, we just loose your mercy in this room that you would make yourself known to us and draw every one of us to you. Oh, we want to know you. Give us the encounters that make us tremble in your presence. That clean, beautiful, pure fear of the Lord. Give us encounters with your heart. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome, man. Love you guys. Have a good day.